Welcome back to Northway's D Group Podcast. I am your host, Rodney Mills. Oh man, what a journey we have been on as we've been apprenticing our lives to Jesus, learning to love, live, and lead like Him. We're getting so close to the end of these life lessons, and I trust that God has been using your D Groups and your times with Him in your alert journals. These podcast episodes and all the many spiritual disciplines you've implemented over the last few months to truly reshape your heart for kingdom righteousness. What we started in our last session is a discussion about what it means to lead like Jesus. Jesus doesn't just call us out of sin. He calls us to follow him into his mission. We are changed to be his change agents. We are to be influencers. And that's what leadership really is. It's influence. Last week, we talked about the kind of leader or the kind of influencers Jesus intends for us to be. We are to lead by serving, to join the sacred order of the towel. That's what Jesus did. He came to serve, not to be served, and to give away his life for the sake of others. And this week, we want to look at another cornerstone kind of lesson that Jesus taught us about influence. It's a lesson on difference-making in our circles of influence. It's a familiar concept, but we want to put some concrete application to it today. So let's talk about what it means to be salt and light in the world. In the early going of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus outlines in the Beatitudes what the blessed life or the good life looks like. He speaks of kingdom righteousness, of right character and right loving and right setting activity. That if we hunger for that kind of righteousness, we will be filled, he says. He even says if we're persecuted for that righteousness, we still inherit the kingdom of God. That kind of life, the blessed life, the peacemaking life, the pure in heart life, the merciful life, All of that creates the kind of life that God uses to influence the world, to actually change the world. And that's the context for this famous and well-known concept of being salt and light. Let's look for a moment at the specific verses. Uh, This is Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, there's quite a bit of debate about the exact meaning that Jesus had in mind in using this metaphor of salt. We, of course, we think of salt as a a seasoning or it's used to flavor our food. But we know that there were other primary uses for salt in Jesus' time. In fact, scholars tell us that there were at least 11 different uses at that time. So which one or which ones did Jesus have in mind? I mean, even in contemporary times, I'm told it now has over 14,000 different uses. But again, let's think about the primary uses of Jesus' time. Here are just three examples. It was used as a, a purifying agent. Salt actually kills bacteria. And that's why it was also used as a preserving agent, keeping foods from spoiling. And then, of course, Jesus makes that direct reference to the taste of salt, the flavor of it. And so maybe these multifaceted uses of salt is part of the point that he's trying to make. He's saying that salt must be put to work in order for it to be useful. 
Clearly, Jesus is saying that something about the condition of this world needs the effects of salt. And if that's going to happen, it's going to be because of you and because of me. He's talking about purpose here, folks. We're to be used in the purifying of the earth. The sins and injustices of this world need a special treatment. They need to be purged and cleansed from the earth. They need to be changed. They need to be healed. And they need to taste the goodness of God, the blessings of God. You are the salt of the earth means that Jesus' disciples are to seek to transform corrupt human societies. This is so powerful. I mean, you got to get in on this. God places you in your spheres of influence for a reason, and he expects that you will be a difference maker. Your family, your relationships, your workplace, your school, wherever you see the effects of sin and selfishness, know that you've been placed there as salt to show the world that there is a better way, to actively engage in setting things right, to overcome hate with love and arguments with peace and evil with good. And while salt is used as a preservative, he clearly did not want his disciples to preserve this corrupt world in its current condition. He wanted them to transform this corrupt world. Jesus, his disciples are, are not simply one purifying agent among many others. They are the one effective means of purifying their world. Make no mistake about it, friend. As Jesus' disciples, we are capable of transforming society. How does that happen, though? Transform society? I mean, that, that seems awfully big, doesn't it? Well, this is how it works. It happens one relationship, one sphere of influence at a time. Each one of us, salty with kingdom righteousness, influencing the people and the places that God brings into our lives. Now, we're going to come back to that thought even more specifically in just a few moments. But what does Jesus mean that we can actually lose our saltiness? Sodium chloride is a stable chemical compound, after all. Well, in in Jesus' time, salt was actually a, a piece of rock dug out of the ground with all kinds of impurities. But get this, water could wash through that piece of rock, washing away the sodium chloride, yet there would be this white residue left over. So the rock, which still had the same shape and even had this white residue, could have the appearance of a salt rock, but not have any flavor or cleansing or preserving properties. Well, let me just tell you, if we're not careful, some of us that call ourselves Christians are just a bunch of useless, saltless rocks. Or maybe we could say, we're just empty salt shakers. Maybe like the salt shakers my wife likes to collect. Maybe we're even pretty to look at, but we've lost our usefulness. Or maybe even worse, when life gives some people a shake, instead of righteousness, something else spills out. Instead of salt, it's more like anthrax. They're just as toxic as the rest of the world. Crotchety and bitter, cantankerous and grouchy complaining and criticizing, small tippers, stingy givers, no joy, not loving, untrusting, unforgiving. They've lost their saltiness. Their lack of righteousness causes them to lose their saltiness, their influence, their impact. You see, the the hypocrisy of those who do not practice what they preach, it does lasting harm to one's Christian witness. I mean, I'm going to just shoot straight with you here. Some so-called Christians, they do more damage to kingdom influence with their actions and words than they ever do at spreading the good news. They've lost their saltiness, their ability to influence. You see, when you act in ways that are contrary to kingdom righteousness, when you have a lack of character, when you have a lack of love, when you lack 
right-setting activity. Jesus says you might as well be scattered on the road to be trampled. If you've lost your saltiness, how will the world taste godliness? And so my encouragement to you today, friends, stay salty, my friends. So before we move on, I want you to think about your spheres of influence. Get them in your mind. For most of us, that's going to be our homes, our workplaces, our schools, maybe our clubs or organized hobby groups that we hang out with. These are the places where you have a regular opportunity to influence. Now, of course, everywhere you go, from grocery stores to restaurants and anywhere else you might bump up against other people, you have a chance to be salty. But still, for right now, just be thinking about your specific spheres of influence, the places where you spend consistent time with a particular group of people. By living out kingdom righteousness, your whole life is to be a part of the redeeming, transforming, healing, restoring, cleansing, forgiving mission of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, you are the salt of the earth. But he adds another equally famous declaration as well. In verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. And so in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. We probably also take this phrase a bit for granted as it's so familiar to us. But if you think a bit more deeply about it and you reflect on how the word light had been used throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that it symbolized revelation and instruction, hope and joy, righteousness, salvation, and the radiance of divine presence even. Like salt has a lot of different purposes, so does light. Of course, we now know that Jesus is the true light of the world. And by extension, as his apprentices, reflecting his light, we bring the blessings of his truth, his hope and joy, his deliverance, acceptance, and salvation's great love. So you think of it this way. Jesus is the true light. He is like the bright sun. But at night, the moon lights up the sky only because it reflects the light of the sun. It has no light of its own, does it? So likewise, even in the spiritual darkness of night, our world experiences the light of Christ when we become reflectors of his light. That's our purpose, folks, life-giving light. Now, I've thought a lot about this metaphor of a light on a lampstand, giving light for all who are in the house, as Jesus put it. I think you could apply this to that spiritual discipline of hospitality we talked about a few weeks ago. Certainly, there's an opportunity for you to keep open house, and when people are in your home, your light shines. By opening up your home, you open up people to God. And maybe even more specifically, especially for those of you who are parents, Jesus might literally be saying to be a light in your home to your family. I mean, I really believe that for most of us, with that privilege of raising kids, The most important work we will ever do is within the walls of our own homes. Being salt and light is about influencing the people that are in the places God puts you in, and that starts at your home. So, perhaps almost literally, Jesus says your light should shine in your house through hospitality and being a disciple-making home. But, of course, the bigger understanding is that your influence and impact is for anyone and everyone you come in contact with. You're keeping a lamplight burning at all times. 
especially for your well-known friends, your family, your co-workers, those people who will see you, your everyday lives, but also for those unexpected encounters with strangers and cashiers, waitresses and waiters and Uber drivers and FedEx delivery ladies. That light is for the calm and the cantankerous, the bitter and the broken, the lovables, and perhaps even more for the unlovables. When people find themselves in the darkest hole that life can bring, it should be said of us that they saw a light, a way forward, a way out of the darkness. Friends, we are to be unmistakable beacons of hope and joy and peace, lighthouses of love. That's kingdom influence. That's how we lead like Jesus. So not only do you need to stay salty, you also need to stay shiny, my friends. Now, the ultimate outcome of living a life of kingdom righteousness is that God gets the glory. We look again at verse 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Just as Jesus says that salt has a purpose, light too has purpose. A lamp on a lampstand has a purpose. And that purpose or outcome is seen in those two transitional words, so that. So that. This is the reason. So that people will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, don't let this confuse you. Jesus actually cautions his disciples about doing good works in public like the Pharisees did. But I think the fundamental difference for Jesus is that it's all about motive. The Pharisees liked the attention. They wanted people to think they were righteous. But Jesus is saying something quite different to his disciples here. He was speaking to the natural outflow of righteousness from the pure heart, not the manufactured, fake, and attention-grabbing acts of religiosity. You see, people experience influence and impact when they see and experience good works of kingdom righteousness. People experience influence and impact when they see and experience good works of kingdom righteousness, not self-righteousness, piety, but good works. Not just the absence of sin, but the presence of sacrificial love manifested in the hands and feet of the messengers of the good news of the kingdom. Not just judging and telling people how they ought to be living. Not just complaining about the news media and how the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but loving extravagantly and unconditionally, being surprisingly patient and kind, and actually doing something about the injustices of the world. Blessed are those who are full of mercy. And remember, mercy is the action that naturally follows our heart as it overflows with kingdom compassion. It is action. It is visible. And it is unmistakable, just like salt and light. And the assurance that we see here is that people will experience that merciful activity from us, and it will cause at least some of them to praise the Father. Again, it's not self-acclaim that happens. It's the renown of God. It's the glory of God that His name is lifted up in all the earth. That's the end goal. Friends, we're on a mission. He has commissioned us. He has given us a new purpose and meaning for life. And that purpose is not one of self-seeking, but rather it is lived for the sake of others and the very transformation of society. As salt and light, we are his change agents so that ultimately, just as he promised, God alone is glorified and praised and exalted in all the earth. 
that the world will see in and through us the works of his kingdom righteousness, overtaking every bitter thought, every evil deed, that his love wins and people's hearts are drawn to give glory to our Father in heaven. Put even more succinctly, to be, a, to be salt and light is to be a difference maker for the kingdom. To be salt and light is to be a difference maker for the kingdom. You see, salt absolutely impacts everything it comes in contact with. Taste, cleansing, melting, icy, cold hearts, preserving, saving. And like Jesus says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. No matter how dark the room, even the smallest light will make a difference. So go back to those spheres of influence I challenged you to think about a few moments ago. Your home, your workplace, your schools, and any other regular place you may be a part of. For whatever other reasons that you have to be there, whether it's obligation or because it's personally fulfilling or because it pays the bills, as a disciple of Jesus, there is one root reason for you to be there. Now let this sink into your heart and mind. When you walk through that house, when you pull into the parking lot at work or sit down at your desk at school, say this in your heart or maybe even out loud. I am here to be a difference maker for the kingdom. I am here to be a difference maker for the kingdom. This is the place and these are the people God has given you to love and to serve. And you are there to be salt and light. Right character, right loving, right setting activity. This is where it all plays out, friends. This is where the rubber meets the road. Now, in one sense, the difference you might make is simply to alter the atmosphere, to be a peacemaker in an environment that might usually be hostile, or to bring more joy or kindness. It might be subtle, or over time, it might even be transformative, changing the atmosphere of your classroom or your factory floor. But also keep in mind, it is this consistent living out of kingdom righteousness that will give you credibility and influence. Jesus says they will see your good deeds. It won't go unnoticed. And as your influence grows, you'll lead others to give glory to God. That might be by simply helping others to see Christ and his followers in a more positive light. It might give you opportunities to build rich and authentic relationships with unchurched friends. And it might even give you the chance to lead those unchurched friends into a relationship with Jesus himself. It'll give you the influence to intentionally disciple your children and maybe even your coworkers or your fa fellow classmates. And in all of these ways, they have seen your good deeds and give glory to God. Now let me walk you through some questions to help you evaluate whether or not you're staying salty and shiny. If you're just listening to the podcast, I'd highly recommend printing out today's transcript so that you can take a look at all these questions. So here we go. Salt and light, they are directly related to kingdom righteousness, so we can start our evaluation with a quick reflection on those three primary characteristics, right character, right loving, right setting activity. So first, here's your first question. Have you been vibrantly exhibiting godly character? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Next question. Is agape love the dominant characteristic of your interactions with the world? Remember our definition, a selfless love that is passionately committed to the well-being of others. Is that the dominant characteristic of your interaction with other people? 
Another question, are you regularly engaging in right-setting activity? Things like this, surprising patience, peacemaking, living as a servant toward others, actively engaged in righting the wrongs of our corrupt society. When was the last time compassion drove you to sacrificial mercy giving? Another question, what change is happening in your circles of influence because of your faithfulness to kingdom righteousness? I mean, who was a recipient of radical love in your life this week? Who experienced the good news because of you? Well, not necessarily who heard the plan of salvation, though that may be included, but who experienced it because of you? Who knows God's love because of you? Who experienced his grace firsthand because you offered it undeserved? Just remember, two of our three goals and outcomes for spiritual disciplines are heart transformation and an other's reorientation. The disciplines that we've been working through, combined with the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, should bring about a reformation of our character and cause us to love others more. And an evaluation of our saltiness and the brightness of our light gives us the feedback we need to see the results, to see how we're doing, see how things are changing. So be sure to evaluate yourself around these salt and light questions regularly. Well, just about every Sunday for a whole lot of years, my final words of encouragement to the congregation is to go with God and go make a difference in the world. Well, this is exactly what I mean by it. Go be salt and light. Go live it out so people can taste the God flavors and see the God colors of the world. Live out kingdom righteousness in a way that transforms the very atmosphere wherever you are. Have a disciple-making home. Be a marketplace missionary. Be an influencer, a leader for God's kingdom work. Love and serve right there where you are. And so I'll say it again. Go with God, friend, and go make a difference in the world.